0: Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Monday, November 2nd, 2020. This is Shannon, and I'm here with Natalia, Sarah, and Stacey. And we are going to talk about contemporary romances. This is a very hard episode to pull together because there are so many fantastic contemporary romances that we could talk about, but we only have room for 12.
1: It's it's (laughs) very sad. (laughs) It's very hard. Yes.
0: But maybe we will have some honorable mentions of different authors that you can check out. If you enjoy some of the stuff that we're talking about tonight, we can possibly give you some additional author recommendations at the end. So before we get started, we have the usual housekeeping information. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that And I'm now going to turn it over to Sarah, who will go first. Then I will follow Stacy, and, of course, Natalia will finish us off. Okay. Well, I'm just wondering,
2: so, like, when you guys move in with a roommate, do you have, like, a whole laminated list of, like, rules and, like, safety measures that you take in the house, like, to make sure, like, everything works? Oh, you don't? (laughs)
0: Um
2: no. no. Oh. Oh well, so I guess if I were the roommate, not- I'd be pissed off if someone gave me a laminated list. <laughs> I'd be of be things. like, what the hell? Right. <laughs> well <laughs> well, if you were the roommate who provided the laminated list, you would be a character in The Roommate by Rosie Dannon. And this book made me so happy. Um it is about a very, very type A worried, uptight person named Clara, who is from the East coast and her whole adult life. She has been wildly in love with this guy whose name I can't remember because he's stupid and insignificant and not really part of the story. (laughs) Okay. So he, this guy whose name I can't remember reaches out to Clara in New York She's about ready to start like a po- I think it's her post doctorate her post doctorate um, um internship and he reaches out to her and says, "Why don't you come stay with me in California for the summer He's in a band and he's like super cool and hip and you know kind of relax and of course because it's Um, this man that she loves, whose name I don't remember, she drops everything in New York, which is not really like Clara because her whole reason for being is to not make mistakes that will appear bad to the family and that will impact the family. So her entire life, she's just really tried to be under the radar and keep it cool and never stress out her mother and just do nothing to bring any bad press, because her family, they're socialites, I forgot to mention that, to the family name, because it seems like every generation, someone brings something terrible to the family name. So she goes to California to stay the summer with this boy that she's loved since she was 14. And he picks her up from the airport and tells her as he's driving her to his house that P.S., His band just got booked for a tour and he won't be there this summer, but don't worry. She won't be there alone. She, he found a person to sublet his house from Craigslist. And so she's already freaking out and like almost hyperventilating because she just like upended her whole life to come out here. And now there's a stranger and how does she handle that? And like, what kind of rules should they have? And maybe she should go home. So she gets there. He doesn't even go in with her, this unnamed man. He drops her off and leaves. And she goes in and the house is like trashed. I mean, there's like, it's not clean and it's not very nice. And she's sitting on the couch, which she really wants to wipe off first, but she doesn't. And this man comes in and he's beautiful. And his name is Josh. And what she doesn't know right away is that he actually works in the porn industry and he's very well known in the porn industry. He's really, really good at giving women crazy pleasure in these movies, which I mean, you know, usually people fake, but his partners never fake. So Josh starts to kind of try to become friends with Clara because she's so uptight. Like she says things like, okay, well, who's going to do the dishes? And then like, there's only one bathroom. So like before you come into the bathroom, you have to knock three times. And he's like, why three times? And she's like, because that'll that'll announce your intent to come into the bathroom in case I'm showering or something like she's really like Stacy tried to read it and she got irritated because she was so uptight, but it's so what just, if you only knock twice? Like, what is that? Signal? I don't know it's against the rules. I don't know. Clara, I'm telling you is so uptight. So Clara and Josh start to become friends and Clara learns what he does. And at first she's kind of appalled, but she's kind of intrigued because even though she is a really type A buttoned up type of person, she has a lot of dreams of creating things and she's very artistic and she would really like to do some amazing things. And so they decide to go into business together. Clara said her name can't be on it. Nothing can be involved that will bring shame to her family, but she wants to develop a website where women can learn how to experience pleasure and where their partners can learn how to give pleasure to them. And I know it sounds really like corny the way I'm describing it, but it is so beautifully written. And Josh is slowly falling in love with Clara, but he does not think he's good enough for her because she is in his eyes, like very smart and very accomplished. And he is like, maybe he graduated from high school. I forget. And he works in the porn industry and he thinks he's just not good enough for her. And I think this word gets overused, but what I really liked about this book, it was so like sex positive and so like just the way that she handled a, a, a hero who really had these like, who seems like on the surface, like this perfect like love person, like this, you know, like pleasure giving he has a lot of really deep-rooted insecurities and self-esteem, like he really struggles. And I really like that sometimes it's the hero and not the heroine who feels this way. It was just a really good book and I don't think I'm doing it very well justice, but it was just, I loved everything about it. And it's called The Roommate. It's by Rosie Dannon. And I would really recommend that if you want to read a really good book, that even though it's about like the porn industry, there's actually- not as much sex as you would think there would be. And the way she writes the sex scenes, it's just really, um, it's pretty beautiful and magical. I felt like.
0: All right. So my next book also involves, actually, it's not my next book. It's my first book. My first book also involves people living in very close quarters, sort of unintentionally. And this is the Chai Factor by Farah Heron. This is a debut novel that came out last year and it is pretty much delightful from start to finish. I loved everything about it. So our heroine is Amira Khan and she is 30 years old. She is in STEM. She's trying to get her her master's degree and she would really like to get this really great promotion at her job once she's done so she's trying to do this really big paper that's kind of the capstone of her degree and once she's done with this she's pretty sure that like she's got it made she's going to be able to return to work and she'll get this promotion hopefully and everything in her life will be just the way she's planned so she leaves campus early and she heads home And she figures that she can spend some time in the basement apartment of her family home. And she can just finish up everything she needs to do for her paper. It'll be quiet. There won't be anything to distract her. Fine. But when she gets home, she realizes that her grandmother has rented out the basement apartment to a barbershop quartet. I can't wait to read this. (laughs) So there are now four, count them, four men Living in the basement apartment where Amira planned to spend you know her break from school and it's gonna be quiet, only it's not now, because this quartet is practicing for a competition. So she needs silence, they need music. This is absolutely like going to work for no one. And then there's Duncan. And Duncan is the kind of person that Amira just hates on sight. Like everything about him drives her up the wall. Everything he says, the way he moves, the way he looks—just like everything that he does—just gets on her nerves, and she doesn't know why. But she just cannot stand him. Except, of course, you know, really, she's very attracted to him, which is also very disturbing to her because it's—it's it's not time for dating. It's time to finish up your your huge project for school and sort of go on about your life. So as they are trying to figure out how to make things work in this now very crowded basement apartment, Amira is struggling to get her project done. Duncan and the other three men who make up the quartet are dealing with some kind of interpersonal drama that goes on between the four of them. And Duncan and Amira, of course, are falling for each other, but neither is particularly happy about it. This is a book full of music, full of just all kinds of witty banter, the kind that you normally see in like a historical, but that's just so well done here. I absolutely loved the exchanges between all of these characters. Um, Amira has a younger sister who is dealing with some difficult things Um, being a Muslim like preteen in Canada and there's just a lot of like racial intolerance that the author does not shy away from when she's creating these characters so it's not all like sunshine and roses all the time but it is just one of the best contemporary romances I have ever read and I think it was Sarah that I was saying this to earlier that contemporary romance is probably my least favorite type of romance. But this one, like if I could read only contemporaries that are like this, I would be like the happiest person because this is truly a remarkable book with like deep family relationships, um, so much intelligence, so much wit, so much music it is just a phenomenal story so if you are looking for something a little bit different from sort of the standard like you know contemporary romance fodder out there i highly recommend it it is the chai factor and it is by farah heron unfortunately it's not available in audio um so it's ebook or print for this one but do they Uh, say they are
2: Do they sing like good night, ladies, and stuff like (laughs) that?
0: No, no, they do not. That's Um, good because that's what I think of for barbershop for kids. Me too. (laughs) Nope. They sing Uh some sort of, you know, standard things that you would expect, like stand by me.
1: Oh, God. Um,
0: But they also do some pretty cool arrangements of some like less common songs. Um, It's just, it's so delightful.
2: Oh my gosh,
1: I it's have on to say, is it ever right? going to come out in audio? I don't think so.
2: I have wanted to talk about this book since I read it. And it wasn't that long ago that I read it, but it is like my everything for 2020. It did wonderful things for my heart and soul. And that is Spoiler Alert by Olivia yeah. Dade. And we P.S. fought over this one. We did. And P.S., <laughs> where has Olivia Dade been all my life? Seriously. Uh-huh. Um, I read oh. the description of this book and it makes her sound like she's a new author. But when I went back, she has quite a backlist. Um, so I'm very happy that I'll have some things to read till the next in the Spoiler Alert um, series comes out. So, Spoiler Alert is about one of my favorite things, and that's fan fiction. I love fan fiction. I'm an unapologetic fan fiction fan um, and I I've been one uh, since the early two thousands. And in this book we have April and April is um, she writes gods of the gate fan fiction and she quote ships one true pairing. And that is Aeneas who is um, a character on the show and uh, a wife of his named Lavinia. And so she writes this fan fiction and she also does um, cosplay where she dresses like um, Lavinia. But she does all this in secret because April um, during the day uh, is a geologist. And um, she also is, um, she has some pretty significant body image issues that have stemmed back to her earliest childhood um, and have caused significant issues with her mother particularly. And she, um, one day decides, Oh, and she, so she writes this fan fiction and her best friend on the fan fiction site that, that she kind of operates, um, is called book Aeneas would never. And this friend of her, she knows he's a man. He writes fan fiction, um, based on the gods of the gate books, not the TV show. Now, what April doesn't know is that the person who's writing as book would never is actually Marcus, who is the star of the gods of the gate television show and his way of dealing with his frustration about how his character is being written is to write about it in the fan fiction realm. And this could be very dangerous. He could, you know, he could be fired from the show if it ever came out that he was doing this. Well, One day April decides it's time to stop hiding. And she decides that she is going to post some pictures of herself in her um, Lavinia costumes on Instagram. And she uh, is mocked for it because of her size. And Marcus sees these photos and is really charmed by, by this woman and how she looks, but also just her courage. And so he decides he's going to take her out on a date Well, things on this day do not go as either would have hoped. And it just so happens, though, that Marcus figures out that April is his best friend. And so he begins living this double life of being Bucanius would never, but also being Marcus and trying to get close to April And both April and Marcus have some secrets that sort of complicate their relationship. They both have some pretty significant uh, family issues to work through. And as they're building this love, they're also sort of building a friendship that sort of mirrors the friendship they have in their fandom. And this is one of the best books I've ever read in my life. I love this book. Um, I think the pacing was perfect. Um, the, The characterizations were amazing, Um, The sex was actually sexy. It wasn't just, you know, tab A and slot B and all that nonsense. It was actually like a beautifully written, uh, beautiful chemistry sex, which I feel like a lot of times in romance lately is missing, you know, like all the the words are there, but not the feelings behind it. Um, This book was just, in my opinion, the perfect example of a contemporary romance when it is executed with flawless perfection. And so, I highly encourage everyone to read Spoiler Alert by Olivia Dade. It's the best book ever. It was such a fantastic book. And just hearing you talk about it makes me want to read it again. And I just I know. Read, like what, a few weeks ago? I know. Like like at the beginning of October, but I, I need to read it again. I think I loved it so much.
1: I think after this episode, I'm gonna do a contemporary romance binge. Oh my I god. Yeah, you guys best are reminding ever. me just how much I like it. And and it's it's so uh, I'm going to put this on my tbr very soon
2: oh and the the narrator for this was really good um just if you read audio
1: okay so guys tell me what are my favorite kinds of books marriage, marriage books. issues you like marriage issues yeah but but what else do i like about marriage marriage in trouble like, well i love marriage and trouble but i also like weddings That's true. Oh, yeah. I like wedding romance books, right? It's true. Especially contemporary romance wedding books. Now, full disclosure, I discovered this author on Audible Escape. I had no idea who she was. And I had so much trouble picking which book by her I was going to talk about. But I feel like um, I'm going to talk about this one because since I'm a stickler for order, my other favorite one is a second in another series and I just can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so this is The Substitute by Denise Grover Swank. It's actually a series um about friends, and it's the Wedding Pact book one. And this is about uh Megan Vandermeer. And it turns out that Megan um is engaged to be married, except she has broken up with her fiance because he's um not a great person, and on top of that is a cheater, and the wedding is off, oh. except Megan has not told her family that the wedding oh, no. is off whoopsie so here <laughs> so when we when our story starts, Megan is on an airplane on the way home for you'll never guess her wedding like oh. this is her wedding is like. 3 days from now and she has not told no one or knows. I think the week away. She's not told anybody that her wedding has been called off and oh she gosh. just doesn't know what to do. It seems like she, you know, she's got some some family baggage and it seems like she feels that if she calls off the wedding her mother especially is going to blame her rather than you know her fiance, who doesn't want to be married, obviously and had an affair, et cetera, et cetera, so she gets the seat next to this guy and he's like tall, dark, and handsome, and she um had i think she took some kind of pill to to <laughs> right. as but, one does as one does <laughs> like, and apparently I don't know if it was that she took the wrong thing or mixed it with alcohol or I don't know what but she became like super loopy and when it's time to get off the plane she kind of passes out and the oh guy that's next to her helps her off the plane and to the gate and she's kind of out of it and her family thinks he's her fiance oh Oh, dear so you know and this guy's josh colt and he's he's flying to the same place she is to try to fix something with his business and you know to him she's this beautiful brunette that you know she's she's kind of loopy and he knows she's out of it but she tells him his her whole sob story and you know he kind of understands why (laughs) she's out of it and he's perfectly happy um, to pretend that he's her fiance to her family, even though, you know, when he when he lets them believe this, she's still out of it. She doesn't understand, you know, she didn't she this is without her consent, you know, and, you know, he thinks that being in her life is going to help him with his business. So why not? So they have one week to Um, either go through with the wedding which is unthinkable because they don't even know each other or have a breakup that is loud enough and bold enough and bad enough that it'll convince Megan's mother to just not blame her for this whole fiasco and have her back about the wedding being off oh my gosh oh my gosh I enjoyed this novel so much I stayed up all night reading this book when I read this I mean it was and I immediately read all the other books in the series and I enjoyed every single one. But c- just just imagine that you're pretending to be engaged to somebody you don't actually know. I mean, I'm thinking like about it i just saw them on a
0: plane.
1: I love books to-
2: like this. <laughs> and, just and you have back- to share
1: a bed and a bedroom because, you know, your, oh your family's like, oh, oh no, you're going to be married in a few days. You know, here's your room. I'm just going
2: yeah. back to she got to sit by a hot, tall guy on a plane who helped and her. That never happens her- to me. Yeah, no, right? never.
1: <laughs> but so this is <laughs> the substitute wedding packed book one by denise grover swank and oh my goodness as i said this was the first book i picked up by this author and it just was everything everything so wow she's a perfect author
2: existed. i didn't either and I know she writes like some paranormal stuff. I didn't know she wrote contemporary, just straight contemporary.
0: And I think like Mm -hmm. some
1: historical stuff too, she writes. Yeah, she's sort of all over the map, right? (laughs) Yeah, she Um, writes all kinds of stuff. She's got this other series that I really like that's um, called uh, Aftermath, I think it is.
2: I completely, by accident, I can take no credit, stumbled upon this author just on Friday night. Because I had finished a book and I was like, oh my God, what do I do? Who do I read? And so I thought, okay, I'm going to go to an author that I love, Mariana Zapata. And I'm going to go and click on a book and and on Audible, they they have a thing that says, if you liked this, try this. And so this author's name popped up and her name is Amy Dawes. And the book I'm going to talk about today literally had me cackle snorting in my bed and when I had to wake up early to see that care sound of my, like I it was it was it was really ugly. It was like ugly <laughs> laughing. i kidding, I know what it sounds like because I'm your twin. I know what it sounds like. It was not attractive. <laughs> so I stayed up late reading, and then my old dog woke me up really early on Saturday morning, and I wasn't even upset because I was reading this book and I was laughing so loud, my husband was like, Sarah, you need to be quiet. Like I could not stop. <laughs> so this book by Amy Dawes is called Blindsided. And First of all, it's like a British rom-com, which is like one of my favorite things, but I'm not always a huge rom-com person because I feel like a lot of them are just contrived. Like, yeah. Over the top. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, okay, this one you may, from my description, thinks a little contrived, but I love the way she wrote it. So the book is about a seamstress in London named Freya and Freya is about to turn 30 in a couple of months. And she is struggling because for her, this is a big deal. She's still a virgin and she really doesn't want to be. But first of all, she has a lot of like body image and self-esteem concerns. And every time that she thinks she's going to have sex with someone, something happens. Um, The worst time was when she was in design school and she was on the floor of her boyfriend's room and they were all pretzeled up together and he confessed he was gay. So that didn't go very well for her. Hmm. So she's kind of given up trying to find the person, but she's pretty desperate. I mean, she, she just feels like really inadequate. Like she's going to be 30. She's a virgin and she has a best friend whose name is McClay or Mac. And he's A super sexy Scottish footballer, which means he's a soccer player if we live in the United States, but in the UK, that means um, soccer, but they say football, and he is her absolute best friend, and they literally netflix and chill in like the platonic way like he comes over and watches this canadian show with her and i can't think of the name of it right now um where there's like a ranch and these horses and she cries (laughs) all the time because it's like a very sappy show and he just hangs out with her he calls her cookie because her last name is cook And so it's Mac and Cookie. And she's always like, you cannot call me Cookie. Like it's embarrassing because she's self-conscious about her body, but he's not doing it to be rude. So they are truly good friends. They are like platonic loving friends. They like talk every day. He's got a key to her flat. Like they just hang out. So his roommate, who is a character from a previous book that I haven't read yet, and his fiance um, invite Mac and Freya to a party, and they go to this party, and they all start, pl- <laughs> they all start playing. Never have I ever after um, having some drinks, and Freya doesn't necessarily do very well with hard alcohol, and she really, really, really wants to impress these people and doesn't want them to know how like woefully ignorant she is about many sexual things which is not by choice, but when some people read this book, they might be irritated in the beginning by her ignorance, but I just love her. And so people are saying things like, um, never have I ever had, had sex in a car. And she's like, Oh, that sounds like fun. And she drinks. So she gets really drunk. So someone yells out, never have I ever had a dirty Sanchez and she doesn't know what that means, but she thinks she'd really like to be dirty with someone. So she drinks and Mac like is worried for her. He's cause he knows, he knows she hasn't done all this stuff. So he drags her out of there before she can embarrass herself anymore and they go home. And so Mac finally learns that cause he, he does not know that she is a virgin cause that's not something she really wants to talk about and he says to her, you know, cause she's like, well, I just need to find someone and like, just have a one night and do the deed and have it done. And he's like, no, no. He's like, your first time needs to be special. And I, I am your best friend. And I, I just, I care about you so much. And I, we trust each other. Please let me do this for you. And you know, we're, we're always going to be friends. So it's not going to be weird. And so she thinks about it for a couple of days. And then she's like, okay, okay, you can do it. So then he goes and he sets up this like whole elaborate evening. Cause he's like, it's, you know, I don't want to just like go to your house and we'll fling off our clothes and do it. I want it to be like a special first time for you. He's like, you waited a long time for this. So Freya is obsessed with like ponies and kittens and things like that. And so he comes up with this amazing Like it was one of the coolest things I've ever read in a, in a romance book where he pays a lot of money to this rescue organization and they deliver rescue animals to people like for their birthdays and stuff like that. And he pays so that she can deliver a couple of kittens to different people for their birthdays. So she's crying and like full of joy, which makes him cry because he's kind of a, he's kind of an emotional guy, which I really like about him (laughs) And then they go and they do the deed. And of course it's like really like full of chemistry and like they decide that maybe he could teach her some other things. Cause you know, really they love each other and don't want anyone to know. And I'm not gonna give a ton of the book away, but it is like one of my favorite books I've read this year. And just to give you an idea. So I read that book Friday night. I am on the third book of hers now. I can't stop reading her books. I just can't stop. And today is Monday. Yes. Today is, is Monday. Yeah. So I, I read, I read two over the weekend and started this one today. Um, and I'm just, Amy Dawes is a really great author that I didn't know was so great. And I'm so happy that I found her. So if you really want to laugh, but also have like a book where they're amazing friends, who are not like shallow, mean friends, but like the true kind of loving friends that you, that anybody would want. And a hero that I just really adore and best friends. Please, please read Blindsided by Amy Dawes. And let me know if you cackle into your coffee and wake up your husband. And yeah, <laughs> it was so good. It's on my TBR again.
0: So I I have conflicting books in my mind for my second pick. Um, but I think I'm going to change my mind and go with <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> and go with the All the King's Men duet <gasps> by Kennedy Ryan. I love her. Um so do I. She's so amazing. Yeah. So this is made up of the Kingmaker and the Rebel King. Obviously, best read in order. So start with
1: The Kingmaker, All the King's Men, book one by Kennedy Ryan. Yes. (laughs) You know, Um, you and I think alike because I thought about talking about this today. Did you? (laughs) Yes, I did. And then I remembered that I talked about Kennedy Ryan in another episode. And I was like, oh, "Oh, I'm trying to talk about new people. I love Kennedy Ryan. I love her. Yeah, I do.
0: So this is the story of Maxim and Lennox. And these are people who grew up in very, very different worlds. Um, Maxim is the son of this really rich, like money-hungry person. Like think Donald Trump, but like a little younger, um, and not the <laughs> president, but Uh-oh. just like you know, all that matters is this giant empire that he has built and he wants his family to kind of follow in his footsteps and he doesn't really understand if you have like principles about environmentalism or about social justice like none of that is important it's just all like stupid to him and all that matters is money 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 but maxim really dislikes this and he knows even not from like personal experience but just from like things that he's witnessed that there is more to life than money. And that there are so many people in the world who were not born into the kind of like lavish lifestyle that his family enjoys. And he wants to make the world a better place for everyone. Imagine that. Lennox is Native American and she has struggled all of her life with just the tons of injustices that are heaped on the native people by by white americans and the man that she hates most in the world is maxim father and there are some reasons for this that i won't get into but it has to do with things that he wants to do in order to get himself more money that are very very bad things that can like ruin the lives of people that lennox cares about so she and Maxim meet at a pipeline protest when she's 17 and he's in his mid twenties. So obviously like things don't go anywhere between them at that point. Like they both kind of recognize they're attracted to each other. She doesn't know that he is the son of her like arch enemy. Um, she just sees him as like a fellow protester and she thinks that like he's pretty great. Um, years later, they meet again in Amsterdam And although the time still is not right for them to actually have like the deep and meaningful relationship that they both want, they do spend time together and they begin to fall for one another. Of course, when Lennox realizes who Maxim is, this changes everything in like unimaginable ways because there's no way that she will allow herself to be caught up in like the wealth and power that she knows Maxim's family stands for and although she recognizes that he doesn't necessarily believe the things that his father believes she just like she can't be that close to all the things that have you know scarred her life in in such terrible ways so they are of course torn apart And I'm not going to tell you much more because there are all sorts of twists and turns that this novel took, or that this duology took more correctly, that I was just not expecting. You know, there are certain things you expect in a romance, like, you know, that they're going to be apart for some, you know, pretty significant amounts of time. In most cases, there are things that, you know, like the forces that keep them apart are usually like, pretty easy to understand, but there were certain things that happened here that I was just not expecting. Um, this is a pretty intense book, not in the way that, like, her, her hoops books are intense, like, you don't necessarily have, like, violence on the page, like, there's not the, you know, detailed descriptions of, like, domestic violence that you've seen in, like, long shot, but There are some really deep and important issues that are are touched upon in the story just by virtue of our hero and heroine being who they are. And it's woven very naturally into the story that these are the obstacles that they are working to overcome and in some cases, the obstacles that are keeping them apart. Um, This is just phenomenal. It is so... I don't know, just so relatable in ways that I wasn't really expecting. Um, And I just, I loved it a lot. So this is All the King's Men duets. The first book is called The Kingmaker and it's by Kennedy Ryan. It's followed up by the rebel king and both are so incredibly fantastic.
2: Oh, Kennedy Ryan. Love Kennedy Ryan. I do too. Such a good author. And for me, like, her writing is so impactful. Like, I almost have to read one and then, like, walk away for a really long time and then come back and then read another one because she just is – oh, I don't – And uh, Kristen know.
1: Higgins got her in – got us into yes. her when she yeah. came yes. on the podcast and recommended her because yes, I have never even heard of her. She was
0: on the podcast, yes.
1: Yeah.
2: Last oh, week – Last week, Natalia and I had the great honor of interviewing Lissa K. Adams for our podcast. Yes. And it was a wonderful interview. And I would have talked about the Bromance Book Club series um, on this episode. But when this episode airs, you will have just heard about the Bromance Book Club a few days earlier. Truth. So I'm not going to talk about that. But what I will tell you about that interview is that Lissa K. Adams recommended um, a new author that I've never heard of. And I always love when romance authors wreck other romance authors. Like it just makes me really happy, especially when you've already sort of, um, you've built a rapport with the writing style of the author on the podcast. So you feel like you can, I mean, it's like Kristen Higgins recommending Kennedy Ryan, like you you have buy-in, right? Like you already know this is going to be a good writer if that person recommends her or him. So this author that was recommended, um, her first book just came out in 2020 and, um, I've blasted through two of them since Saturday. Um, And these are, um, the author is Cara Bastone, And the first book is Just a Heartbeat Away. And this book was a revelation. Um, To me, it was everything that a good contemporary romance novel should be. And um, her writing was gorgeous. It was just, anyway. So this book is about, Violetta DeRosa and Via, (laughs) I know I do too. And Via is um, at the beginning of the novel. She's 27 and she, um, a couple years ago, she was a pre-K teacher and met a little boy named Maddie. And Maddie was looking pretty rough. He was kind of having some challenges. Um, And it's because his mother had recently died and his father, Sebastian was really struggling with, with what to do with Maddie and basically how to be a father because he had not been the dominant parent in the relationship. So um, via at the time offered some tools and some supports to help this struggling family. And basically without knowing it through this major lifeline to this struggling man and his son. Now it's been a couple years later and Maddie's in school at an elementary school in Brooklyn. Oh, P.S., This book takes place in Brooklyn, which is really Yay. cool. I know. And so um, a couple of years later, um, on the first day of school, during a staff meeting, Via sees that Sebastian, the father, is also working for this elementary school where Maddie goes. Via is the school counselor. She went back and got her master's. And Sebastian, Seb, he is, um, he's a lunch monitor, um, and he also helps with the soccer program for the littles because he just wants to spend more time close to his son. And he's a furniture maker in his, you know, adult life. And the thing that is interesting about this book is that, like I said, Via is 27. Uh, she really has her shit together. She was a foster child and had to grow up fast and did not have the traditional family life um during some of her formative years that, you know the average young child has. Um, And so she is a very mature 27, but Sebastian is 42. And when he looks at via, he sees somebody in a different generation, a millennial. He actually reminds me of me and my judgment of people who are younger than me. um, Because (laughs) he's (laughs) truly like, my age. And like, no, like he's like, Oh, Uh, she probably wants to go to the bars and she has a lot of living to do before she's caught up with where I'm at. And, that was very relatable to me because I don't do it on purpose. I'm not trying to be a snotty jerk, but like, you know, I think to myself that that girl hasn't done enough living yet. She has no idea or that person. And um, so I can relate to how he was feeling. He's very settled. He's a widow. He has a son. His son's his you know, top priority. And here is this beautiful young woman who's sort of, you know, coming back into his life and turning things upside down and making things better she just spreads sunshine and love and family and warmth all throughout his life. But yet he cannot really seem to kind of settle in and accept this for what it is, a beautiful opportunity to have an amazing relationship with somebody who is able to kind of see all the broken, damaged pieces and is able to kind of, you know, continue on with him. And I'm not going to say anything else about the plot of this book. I will tell you that it's beautiful. Again, I feel like I say this a lot. Um, it can be like the quote on my gravestone. The pacing was perfect. The writing was gorgeous. But truly, it, this is um, the everything. What I loved most about this book, um, they had some issues, um, especially Sebastian had some issues with, with accepting Via. But what I loved about this is it doesn't go into, we have the, the bang, and then all of a sudden they have to deal with these issues that push them apart they deal with their issues before their relationship deepens. And I thought I that love was a that. very, I know. And it was a very, to me, it's just a very smart, mature romance. And um, it had a slow burn friends to lovers quality that I really appreciate in my novels um, that I like to read. So I'm, um, I've just currently um, I'm about probably 60 pages from finishing the second book now, but Um, this, this author is going to be one to watch for me. Um, she was just, she's a beautiful writer. So again, this book is, um, just a heartbeat away by,
0: oh my God, Cara 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 Bestone. and
2: yes. And, um, it's, it's an audible and ebook and I'm sure it's in print too. The third book is coming out in January of 21. So if you're someone who likes to binge a series, um, you'll soon have three books to binge and it's just a really really gorgeous story so
1: and the first two are on hoopla
2: and i didn't know that until i bought so them are but these th-
0: related like this is a yes, yes. so yes. The, okay. the, a the first book is about
2: about via and the next book in the series is about her foster sister seraphine and ah, okay yeah and i like the first book, teared me up. Like I just thought it was one of the most beautiful love stories I've read in a long time. And he has this circle of friends who have come together for him. Um, it's you know great. after his like wife died. Did you already family. read it?
1: Yes, I did. Of course, oh I read it. God. They sure recommended it. Oh it my god, just... I loved it. Um, my next book is by one of my favorite authors. I honestly, I just read a book by her that I hadn't read a couple months ago, and. I loved it so much. I'm like, yay, she doesn't get old with time. So um, this is Molly O'Keefe. And I'm going to go back to one of my favorite series by her, Crooked Creek, Crooked Creek Ranch. And I have to say, I really like books that take place in like, that are like family books that take place in ranches and farms and things like that. But um, I love the titles of these books. Crazy Thing Called Love, Can't Buy Me Love. Um, you know, everything is something about love. I think it's a trilogy. Songs. Sounds like they're all songs. They are like songs. songs. And the first book is called Can't Buy Me Love. And it's about uh Tara Jean. I think her last name is Simmons. I don't remember, but her name is Tara Jean. And she is from the other side of the tracks. And she's working at this ranch called Crooked Creek for this older gentleman called Lyle Baker. And he's on his deathbed. And so he tells Jean that he'll give her a a stake in the ranch if she, after he's dead, pretends to his children that she was his flamboyantly gold-digging fiancé for an allotted amount of time. Whoa. And, you know, Tara Jean has never had nothing. She's worked really, really hard and she ha- hasn't ever had anything and she wants this. So she's willing to do this, except, you know, now Mr. Baker is dead and he has a son and the son is really handsome. He's an ex hockey player. I forgot to mention that all the guys and all the heroes here are are related to hockey teams in some way to a hockey team which is really cool because I love hockey when I was a kid I used to want to be a hockey player I didn't know I was blind okay (laughs) so so Luke is really starting to get under her skin not only that but now he is her boss because she's still you know doing this charade about being his fiance but she's also an employee of the branch and of course, his kids think that she's the typical, like we were just talking about younger woman, arm candy, cliche of their father that just wants their money. Except Luke and Tara Jean are very, very attracted to each other. And they both have secrets and they both have issues. Um, Luke is no longer able to play hockey because of an injury. So he's coming to terms with with that, you know, and still pre- being pretty young and not being able to do the sport that he wants. And Tara Jean has a past that I'm not going to spoil. And when the sparks fly and their secrets come to light, will they fight for each other? Uh, I guess we'll have to figure it out. So this <laughs> is called Can't Buy Me Love by Molly O'Keefe. I know the synopsis. I I didn't do this book justice, but I very, very much enjoyed this entire series. And one of them is one of the books in the series is about marriage in trouble and, you know, Second Chance. My oh, yes. favorite. My I love favorite. Second Chance. Yeah, yeah. I, I love like marriage and trouble or even like divorce. We divorced 10 years ago and here we are again. Like that works for me too.
0: If it's you like we divorced, on my
1: list of things to try, you really should, especially if you love Susan Deniker, cause I love her. And oh, she reads yeah, she's pretty good.
2: I have literally been waiting to talk about this book for my whole life. Okay. Not really, <laughs> but for a long time. And this author is, I I have loved everything I've read by her. Um, She, her, her books are all very different plots, but this book is one of my favorite romances I've ever read. And some people will find that shocking because the heroine is only 19, but um, this book is called Tide by Carrie and Cole. Um, It is a little bit of a, yes, you can squeal. Um, I loved this book so much. (laughs) I know. It was like literally everything I want in a story. So, but I will say one thing. This book may not be a book that everybody can handle. Um, The main character was kidnapped at the age of five and she was kept until she was 16. Okay. And she does have some. Yeah, there are some triggers. She definitely has some flashbacks. Um, it is not it's not a book that maybe everybody would love but let's talk about Tide so the main character is named Holly and when Holly is five years old she's walking home with a friend and she's snatched by a man into a car and nobody ever sees her again until our hero Tyler who is Seriously, one of my favorite romance book heroes of all time. He is my romance book boyfriend. And <laughs> Tyler <laughs> Tyler is the younger brother to a character that was in a previous book, and Tyler is has been injured a couple of different times. So he fell into a fire. Oh. And so when he was 17 and so his part of his face and like down like the side of his body is all burned from falling into the fire. But then a couple years after that, and I won't really get into why this happened, but he got into a motorcycle accident and his throat was pierced with with glass. And it just missed his jugular so it it really um, did a number on his um, vocal cords. So Tyler, in the beginning, is walking through the woods. He lives in the woods. He's very secluded, and he um, does like animal rescue. He helps his family, and he hears a sound that he recognizes as a dog that's been debarked. So, a debarked dog has a very makes a very strange sound. Basically, their their vocal cords are cut somehow. I don't really understand this. It's
1: horrible! But
2: it is horrible. I've heard a debarked. It's very before. horrible. It's not humane. And so he follows the sound and he finds in the ground, like a, a, like a cover, like, like a big cover or a hatch. And he lifts the cover away and down in the hole is a young girl who ends up being Holly and she has a dog that was debarked and he saves her from the hole he pulls her out he calls 911 and it's, it's very painful for him to talk but he's able to communicate like where they are and so um, a lot of people um, think Tyler is a bad person because he's pretty scarred and um, he likes to ride through town like on his motorcycle and he wears like different like fright masks to scare people um, he's kind of a, a recluse and a, a hermit doesn't really want to be talked to by anyone so they get there And he has rescued Holly from the hole. And something else happened that I'm not going to tell you. And her dog jumps out of her arms and starts running. And she's yelling to Tyler, get him, get him. And so they're chasing the dog. So Holly's running after the dog. Tyler's running after Holly. And the cops come and think that he is chasing her. And they arrest him. They take Holly to the hospital. Now, here's the thing. Holly in some ways she, and they don't see each other again for three years. Okay. We'll start with that. But Holly doesn't really, she, in, in many ways in the beginning, she's very childlike, you know, she hadn't seen anyone, but this, the terrible man that took her from the age of five to the age of 16. So she really struggles. And the only thing that kept her sane during her, 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 ordeal her captivity was she had a backpack on her back when she was five that had fairy tale books in it and those books are like her lifeline like that's she she needs them near her at all times because those books are the only things that kept her sane all alone all the times down in the hole and he kept her in a basement and these books are her whole world And to her, Tyler is the prince that has come to rescue her. And that is just really what he is. She doesn't see his scars. She doesn't, his voice with all of its warpedness doesn't bother her. He is her prince and he saved her. So three years go by. Um, She is reunited with her parents while they're in, while she's in the hospital. And her parents are having a very hard time because they really thought Holly was dead They, I mean, they mourned her, but they kind of moved on. They had another child, um, and, and they just really struggle. And when Holly is released from the hospital, they don't take her home, which is good for her because Holly has a lot of healing to do. She goes to, um, like a facility that starts off, like you live like in like a, like a kind of like a hospital setting. And then as people do better with their, with their recovery and their mental health, they move to like these apartments. So it's kind of like a, a step down and then you, you move on. So Holly goes for a walk in the woods one day when she's 19 and she runs into Tyler And at first he doesn't realize it's her, that she's the girl in the hole because she's changed a lot since she was 16 and, you know, has filled out and looks better. And she knows it's him right away though. And she's just so drawn to him. She cannot stay away from him. And he does not understand it. He thinks he is like disgusting and horrifying, but what he doesn't understand is his outer scars are like her inner scars. And she has scars too. She was burned. She was cut. She has a, she's, she her 19 years of life are not obviously like a typical 19 year old. And so this story is about how these two pretty broken souls, they build this beautiful friendship. Again, it's a very slow burn book. There is no way in the wide world that Holly would be ready for any type of sexual anything early in the book she builds and grows and becomes this strong person. And she shows Tyler that he is so much more than his outer appearance. And what I really love about this book is there could have been a lot of angst. There could have been a lot of issues like with her parents keeping her from Tyler and just all these other things. And Carrie and Cole, she does not focus on any angst. She just builds this beautiful story. And I just love everything about this book. I could literally sit here and talk about it for another hour. It I've, I've read it twice. I will read it again. I will read it many, many more times. I just, when I, when I reach out to like, like the audible romance group and I say like, I really need another book. I say, please, please. Are there any other books like tied by Carrie and Cole? Because it's my everything. It's, it's just exactly the kind of story I want to read and I just, there aren't very many out there that are as good as that one.
1: It was a beautiful story.
0: Well, my last book is very, very different. This (laughs) is a rom-com, which is not something...
2: But oh my god, I'm, Shannon, read a, Shannon is talking
1: about a rom com. Yes. November
2: I 2nd, 2020. I, I think we need to like mark Shannon this. Shannon recommends a rom com. It's definitely yes. the
1: night before the election. Twas I, the night before
2: right? <laughs> Is there still a full moon? I mean, I'm feeling sort of like uncomfortable. I'm it's like I'm in some of
1: type time reality. <laughs> it's it, it's Next not. She's a
0: she's going to say that it's happened. by
1: Molly Harper. Then the- I'm no, no. I love her. So tell me about your rom
0: com, Shannon. Yes, please. So this is a debut novel by Sarah Desai. And this is called The Marriage Game. And this is about a young woman named Layla. And Layla returns home to San Francisco after a really, really bad breakup. Um, She was dating this guy and he wanted to be a social media star. And this is like basically the focus of his life. And all of a sudden... Layla realized this is not what she wants for her life. And so they break up and it's this very kind of viral like breakup thing that happens. And Layla is, of course, kind of painted as the bad guy who's like wrecking the life of this social media mogul. So she returns to San Francisco and she has decided that she's going to start her own business. Now she knows like very little about how to start her own business but she's going to do it anyway. And it's going to be a job like a recruitment firm she decides. So she's going to help other people find work. So she goes home and she's kind of wrapped up in her family. She's very glad to be back with people who love her, people who don't necessarily, you know, are looking for like all the things that she does wrong. And she has a really close relationship with her father. So she tells her father that she wants to start this new business. And he thinks that's great. He says that she can rent the office above the Indian restaurant that they own. She says, okay, like that's that's fantastic. Well, then the father has a heart attack and he goes to the hospital and Layla is left to move into this office and start the business on her own without her father you know kind of helping her but what she doesn't realize is that before she came home her father rented this office to someone else whoops (laughs) and he is now ready to claim it for his own so sam is our hero and he works for a corporate downsizing firm And he thinks that this is like the best possible job you could have. You like help companies get rid of their like excess weight and they can just like make a bigger profit and everybody's happy. Now he doesn't really think about the people whose jobs he takes away because like that doesn't matter to him. So he thinks this is like A fantastic job. And he's very kind of like the character that Sarah was talking about in her first book, like very type A. He has all these very strict ideas about like what it means to run a business. Um, you know, things have to be a certain way. He has all these ideas about how his, you know, firm is gonna run and he wants things to be neat and orderly and quiet. And so he comes to the office and Layla's there. And he tries to get her to leave by telling her that, you know, her father rented the office to him and she doesn't care. She's like, no, he told me that I could be here and I'm his daughter. So, like, too bad for you. And so they decide that they're going to share the office. This, like, goes wrong in pretty much every possible (laughs) way because Layla and Sam are polar opposites you know, she kind of thrives on like chaos and creativity. And like I said, he wants everything to be neat and orderly and professional at all times. And then to make matters even more interesting, before her father went into the hospital, he decided that he was going to do a really great thing for Layla, but it might not turn out to be such a great thing. He went online and he set up a profile for her on a dating site and he has arranged 10 count them 10 men that he wants her to meet and she knows nothing about this so all of a sudden these men start showing up at the office and (laughs) they're like various types of like traditional you know Indian men and they all have very specific ideas about what they're looking for in a wife. And everything that they are looking for, like Layla embodies at least like one, one or two characteristics that each of these men are looking for. And so the father thinks like out of all of these 10 men, she should be able to find somebody that will make her a good husband. But what she realizes as she gets to know these men and she tries to like have these dates with them is that none of them really what she's looking for. And the person that she's really falling for is Sam. So this is just utterly, utterly delightful. It's the kind of book that, like it doesn't have a ton of hidden depth. Like it is exactly what it promises to be. It's it's funny, it's light. The characters are engaging. I really enjoy the family dynamics. Um, Sam and Layla are like the perfect foil for one another so you know where he is like uptight she's kind of free-spirited and fun-loving everything that she is like he isn't and they're just fantastic together in that way that like only romance novels can bring to life so this is The Marriage Game it's by Sarah Desai Um, if her next book is anything like this one um it it's bound to be amazing so definitely check it out this is her debut
2: i need this in my life yes
0: it's so it's like enemies
2: to lovers it's like san francisco it's like indian restaurant like
0: politics kind of like you know and just this whole idea about like him wanting to get rid of jobs and her like wanting to create them.
1: I just can't believe you oh. Adam, You read this.
0: I did, and I love it. Ah, is it available? We audio? might convert she, her yet. It is. It is. Oh. If you put in the marriage game, you will find it. It is like 11 hours and.
1: Who reads right. it?
0: So, Leland and Connie. Oh, my favorite. My favorite. Yes, I, I love her, her a lot.
2: So on the theme of rom-coms, also not my favorite. I I find them typically to be a little bit too light for me and it's sort of over the top. And I I just oftentimes feel that the humor is a little contrived um, and I can't really get into them. But a couple months ago, I was just sort of feeling down in the dumps. You know, 2020 is just a poop storm on steroids. And so I just (laughs) needed something to cheer me up. And I've been doing a lot of um, researching and I came across, and and in the in the romance groups that I'm in, I kept seeing people recommending this Rock Bottom Girl by Lucy Score. And just everything about it just sounds like something I wouldn't like. The name, the author's name. Like, I just thought, I don't, this is not anything I want. But I read a bunch of reviews and I did all my research and I thought, you know what? I'm in this place where, you know, I just feel really down in the dumps and I need something that's gonna kind of lift up my spirits so I tried Rock Bottom Girl by Lucy Score and it changed my entire life. Um, so Marley is 38 and she has to come home to Culpepper, Pennsylvania, her hometown oh gosh. that she yeah. escaped after high school and never wanted to come back to. And she has to do this because she's lost her home, she's lost her job and she's lost her boyfriend all Ooh. around the same time. So she feels like garbage about herself and not only is she coming home but she's coming home to her childhood bedroom in her parents house where she still has like
1: harry Mm. potter
2: body pillows and like you know it's just like her it's like high school in a twin bed and like she's living with (laughs) her parents (laughs) and she's very low and she feels terrible and her parents come in her room one day and they're retired teachers and her mother says to her i have found you a job I, this is what you're going to do. And you get on your feet, you are going to teach phys ed and you're going to be a soccer coach. What the and hell? Marley is kind of like, <laughs> what the hell? Like, this is not me. You know, my ass has a few extra pounds on it. Like I am not a runner, but you know, she's feeling so down in the dumps. Oh, and PS, her high school nemesis now lives in the McMansion next door to her parents. And they have peacocks in their front yard. And Hello. her nemesis is now married to Marley's high school boyfriend that she did something very terrible to and is very embarrassed about what she did to him. So she decides it can't get much lower than this. So she's going to like come on to this soccer team and she's going to try to help them play decent soccer. And there's all these dynamics that no one bothers to tell her about with the ladies on the soccer team and what happened with their last coach. And she's going to be a, a gym teacher at the high school where she <laughs> was banned for life, everyone. Banned for life from ever returning to homecoming because of what she
1: did her senior year in high oh school. Oh, my God. Is that Whoa. even a thing? Can that happen? Well,
0: <laughs> in Culpeper, Pennsylvania, it can. It can
2: and <laughs> yeah. So she comes to school, and she's starting you know, to do practice, and she decides... And her, her her childhood best friend actually comes and says that she will help out with the team because she's bored. She has all these little children at home and she just needs to get away from them. And her boring <laughs> husband, who, like, they have the most boring sex on the planet. And she just, she has to get away. So they're going to do this, like, soccer thing together. So they decide uh, they're going to do these sprints one day during practice while the track <laughs> team is running by. And so she starts doing these sprints to show off to these girls about how, Oh, she used to play soccer in high school. I never mentioned that. And as she's running and getting more and more like horrified by the fact that she actually can't sprint like this anymore. She sees the coach for the high school track team. And it is none other than the high school bad boy, Jake, who she crushed on really hard and his first impression of her is her vomiting on him after doing these sprints. Oh. So they have a meat puke in this book. So like right then, <laughs> I'm cackling, I'm dying. and did you know, say meat puke? I did yes. meat puke because that's I how they it. describe it. And I so, you it. know, there's all this like randomness that happens. <laughs> and they, after a while, you know, her, and, oh, and her nemesis also works at the school as well. So she's, like, back with the mean girls. She's, like, you know, back in this town. She feels really bad about herself. She's trying to, like, do this, like, soccer nonsense and teach gym class. And, and then there's these weird sparks that keep flying between her and high school bad boy Jake, who now is, like, this adult with, like, a Victorian house and a pet dog. And, like, it's just so oh. random. Like, he's just, he's a... He's a history teacher. A history teacher who cried about Hamilton, the musical. Like he's nothing (laughs) like she remembers from high school. And so they decide through a a series of events that they're going to have a fake relationship for a while. And he's going to teach her. He's going to, they have a whole like thing. He's going to teach her um, more about how to be a coach. And she is going to teach him how to be in an adult relationship. Because he doesn't know. No, he he doesn't sustain any long-term relationships at all. And he's feeling kind of bad about that. So he wants to kind of, you know, learn how to be in a sort of mature sustained relationship that lasts longer than a second. Okay. So during all this though, the sparks continue to fly and um, she sort of gets interwoven into the fabric of this small town. And what Marley begins to realize is sometimes coming back home is actually it actually coming back home in complete, as a complete failure, disgrace of a person in her late thirties is actually the best thing that could ever happen to her. And I'm not even going to tell you like all the funny things that happen in this book, but, um, there is a scene with, um, (laughs) you know what they even say it like in the book description, but I'm not going to give it away, but I laughed my ass off. Like I did this laugh that was like, (laughs) like really ugly. And I don't even care. And I called my sister at two in the morning and I begged her to read this book. I said, I don't care what you're reading. Please put down whatever you're reading and pick this up. And she's like, oh, I don't like rom-coms. And I'm like, well, do you think I do? Yeah, I said it just like that. She totally did, like a witch. And I said, <laughs> "Look, you have to read this book." So now, since then, I've probably read—I don't even know—seven Lucy Score books. Like, I, can't I love Lucy like, Score. Her writing is amazing. These characters are relatable. Um, you know, who doesn't want to like go back to your high school roots and actually feel like a success instead of like this like dipshit failure? But this book was everything. It like completely made my whole life. It, you know, it. If you've ever struggled with self-esteem or like. Feeling like you didn't live up to the potential that you had aspired to, this book will speak to you and it'll make you laugh until you cry. And then it will make you cry. And then you'll laugh some more. And then it has a beautiful, like ridiculously extended epilogue that will make you laugh and cry. Like it is like the best book I've ever read in my life. So I I've gone it. on way too long. I'm so sorry. But please, everyone, please, please read Rock Bottom Girl by Lucy Score. And P.S. If you get it as an audiobook, the narrators take it like to 10 stars. Like, (laughs) especially when they make her father talk like a Muppet. Like it is the (laughs) most ridiculously wonderful, fabulous thing on the planet, the
1: end. Beautiful. So my last book is by an author that I don't think any of us have talked about here before. And I actually had the pleasure of meeting her and get a signed book from her at the Ooh. Romance Writers of America, when that was a thing, <laughs> what well, that I went with my brother. This is Julie James, and while she has many, many books that I enjoy, I am going to talk about uh, just the most sexiest man alive, or it's actually just the sexiest man alive by Julie James, and she does have series, but this is a standalone, and I rated it five stars, so I think it's probably my favorite one by her. And this book is about an attorney, uh, Taylor Donovan. And I don't know why um, she gets this job uh, with a Hollywood superstar, Jason Andrews. But basically, uh, since she's an attorney, her bosses tell her that she has to kind of let him shadow her. Because he's going to be performing a legal thriller. He's going to be acting in a legal thriller in a movie. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Jason Andrews is your typical suave Hollywood star. He's used to, you know, having any woman he wants, anything he wants, all the money he wants. You know, he's not a jerk or anything. He's nice. But, you know, he's used to like the good life. And then here comes Taylor Donovan and she's an attorney and she's. You know, used to just being poised and cold and not, you know, very present emotionally due to a lot of baggage that she has in her past. And, you know, she's just seeing this as a job. She's going to teach this undeniably handsome guy how to be a lawyer slash criminal for his movie. And, you know, she's perfectly okay with rejecting him, you know, perfectly okay with saying, no, she's not going to have an affair with this guy. Whereas Jason Andrews has never really been rejected before um, by a lady. And the more she rejects him, the more he wants her. And, you know, he, he just thinks she's challenging him, but she's not playing. So if you want to know if he's going to get the girl, I guess you're going to have to read the book. So this is Just the Sexiest Man Alive by Julie James. And I have to say, her books are... They are contemporary romances, but they're also kind of rom-com-y, but kind of not. It's like they have the best of both worlds. They have the best of depth and the best of funny, is what I would say. I would really, really highly recommend her. So many
2: people love her. I do. I know. I've heard really good things. I don't know why I haven't read her before.
1: I don't either. You would like her a lot.
2: I think I went on a contemporary romance hiatus for a really long time, and so... You know, I just she wasn't an author if and it I wasn't reading a lot of authors that I didn't know for a while. And you so maybe like that's why that her
1: characters aren't like crazy young. They're like in their mid-thirties. They're not oh, I would mid-30s. like
0: that. Okay. So that brings us to the end of 12 fabulous contemporary romances. If you would like more recommendations, pay attention to the show notes that were published along with the podcast. You can also find them on the Book Bistro Facebook page. We will have a list of contemporary authors that we love that we just didn't get a chance to mention here because there are a bunch of them. Thank you to Natalia, to Sarah, and to Stacy for coming up with such Excellent book choices this evening. Thanks, as always, to Christine for all of the editing that she does for each and every Book Bistro episode. And thank you so much to all of you who join us every week as we talk about so many great books.